Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. I have a question, which is, how, how do you know if you're actually rich? So that's, it's a good thing to know. You might be rich, and you might not know it, right? <laughs> or you might not be rich, and you might not know that you're not rich, which means maybe you're still rich. So here's a question that, that I've thought about a lot, and, and it became especially relevant this week, which is, there, there was a period of time where I was buying lottery tickets, and I never checked to see if they won. I just sort of, I don't know, I just enjoyed the process of buying lottery tickets. Now I actually check to see if I've won. I'm amazed at how often I get no numbers right. <laughs> it seems to be like 90% of the time there's like zero matches. That aside, consider this question. If you have a $50 million winning lottery ticket in your wallet and you haven't checked it, are you a millionaire or not? So you could say, let's just be very real. That's a winning ticket. You have it. It's worth $50 million. You have $50 million. There's, what's the discussion? Okay, that's one approach. I definitely hear the logic of that. But here's another approach, which is that how can you be rich if you don't even know that you're rich? In other words, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, listen, I got to get on the subway. Have you got $2.50? And you say it back to the person, you know I would help you in a second, but I haven't got it. <laughs> in other words, you have to know that you have something in order to have it. Otherwise, you don't have it. You have to know that you have it. Otherwise, you don't have it. So the implications of this are pretty vast in terms of going through life. Let me just tell you a real-life event that happened to me this past week that sort of illustrates this point. So we have this garage, and it's filled floor-to-ceiling with boxes, and someone had a great idea, which is, we could turn that into a room if we got rid of all the boxes. So anyway, a plastic tool shed was bought as an alternate place to put the boxes, and I knew immediately that everything put into that plastic tool shed was going to get ruined. It, 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 was, it was clearly not waterproof. So what happened? Well, most of the boxes couldn't fit into that plastic tool shed, so they remained outside for a while. Those all got ruined. <laughs> and then the ones that went into the plastic tool shed, those all got ruined as well. So, but this has been a, a slow motion process. Anyway, I've been looking for a particular box of something that is semi-valuable and Turns out that actually got ruined in the first wave and I threw all those out and I had forgotten about that. Okay, but I was convinced that it was among the survivors, perhaps, in the plastic tool shed. So I got someone to help me because it was heavy lifting to go through this thing. And there were a couple of vintage posters. Now, they're ruined, destroyed by water damage. And that was, you know, one of them was like maybe worth, I don't know, like maybe a thousand dollars about in that neighborhood. The other one I had forgotten that I had even had. I got it about 30 years ago. Now that one was worth more. That one was worth about, I, I didn't realize it, about 
five, six thousand, maybe more. Ruined, ruined. But here's the thing. I didn't even know I had it. <laughs> so I was back at square one. Do you understand? Now, while we were opening up that box of that more valuable ruined thing, the person helping me said these words. He said, careful, that's a black widow spider. <laughs> Those were the magic words. <laughs> because it was like God was telling me, have some perspective. I'm saving your life. <laughs> you know, so... It, it was impossible to get fixated on this sort of like loss that was happening while I was simultaneously being protected from the bite of a black widow spider. You know, you've got like a microscope and then you've got like the Hubble telescope. Because think about it. Reality, life, troubles pull you into a tunnel vision where you only see the issue in front of you. But if you maintain this sort of like telescopic vision, what we call expanded consciousness, which comes through joy and comes through gratitude, if you stay in this place of thanks, then all of a sudden you've got this black widow moment. Hey, wait a second, I'm also alive. <laughs> We've got to be aware of these two modes that we can experience life through. And to really keep this broader perspective. I saw one of the Rebbe's said, I, I don't remember which Rebbe this was, one of the great Rebbe's said that the only way a person can become sad is if they forget or lose perspective that they're standing in front of God. Now, God has built into our lives this wider perspective. And it's called Shabbos. Every single week, we get to expand our consciousness and to see the things that we actually have. We get to have what we actually have. And let me just put it in the words of the Ishbitzer Rebbe. We have two words that are very similar. Simcha and Onet which Reb Shlomo translates as joy and bliss. So simcha, it's translated as joy. That's when God gives you something that you didn't have before. But bliss, bliss is even higher. What's bliss? Bliss is when God shows you what it is that you've had all along. So how is that possible that the joy that you can get from realizing what you have can be even greater than the pleasure that you get from something new. It must mean that we have so much already that we've lost sight of how much we have. Like we don't even have what we have yet. Right? That's the idea of like that lottery ticket in our pocket that we haven't checked and we may have even forgotten about. In other words, every single person's pockets are stuffed with unchecked lottery tickets. <laughs> That's the bottom line. So part of life, there's a certain joy of acquiring something new. But maybe an even deeper joy 
is as you go through life to realize what it is that you already have. What it even means to be alive. What it even means to be in this world. So I want to go deeper. And I want to tie this idea into the idea of our relationship with God. And living with God. You know, by the way, the name of these talks, this series, or my website even, is Living with God. It, it was in part inspired by something that I heard Rabbi Green say many years ago. He said that the classic kind of romantic movie is built on this story structure. Boy gets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl. Right? And then the movie ends with a wedding, and then that's the end of the movie. And Rabbi Green said, I want to know what happens after the wedding. <laughs> like, that's what I'm most interested in. In other words, we have God, and God has us. Now the question is, now what? How do we live together? Right? So that's living with God. A rabbi that I learned with said that Sefer Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, which is all about what goes on in the Mishkan. Very detailed things, the offerings and all sorts of things. Who serves, how they serve, everything like that. And he referred to this book of the Torah as Shekhinah maintenance. <laughs> right? Like you have, once you get your partner, once we get God and God gets us at the end of the redemption from Egypt, now the question is, how do we live together? How do we maintain that relationship? It's touched on a little bit in very fascinating language. In the beginning of Parsha's bow, Hashem says to Moshe these very seemingly simple words, but when you begin to unpack it, it's exceedingly complicated. So what are the simple words? God says to Moshe, Come to Para. So, you know, that seems pretty straightforward. Come to Para. Okay, that's great. Except let's think about that just on a number of different levels. If Paro is over there on the other side of Egypt, you would say, go to Para. You would say, go to Para. Then let's go a little bit deeper which is that God is absolutely everywhere. So come to Paro, go to Paro, but God is already everywhere. <laughs> so what is this kind of like, why would you even make a distinction if God is already everywhere? Whose point of view is come or go being said from? Now, the Kutzka Rebbe says something very beautiful, a classic piece of Torah. Even though it would make more sense for God to say, go to Paro, he says, come to Paro. And the Kutzka Rebbe fills in the missing words to make it all make sense. God is saying to Moshe, come with me to Paro. I will be with you as we go together to Paro. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Right? 
God wants to emphasize his closeness. So now, let's just check in terms of how this all relates to us right now. What is our consciousness on a daily basis in terms of the way we live with God? Are we going to God? Or is God saying to us, come with me to wherever you're going next? Right? Some people think that when they go to shul, God's in shul. But no, God's on the way to shul also (laughs) and fills the entire universe, right? Like, some people think that, like, the place to pray and talk to God is shul. But the place to pray and talk to God is, like, everywhere, everywhere. They asked the sons of Rebbe, what do you do before you pray? He was walking to Shul. So one of his chassidim, they're on their way to Shul. He says, what do you do before you pray? And he said back, I pray. (laughs) (laughs) So you can pray before you pray. (laughs) So I want to contrast the idea of going and coming with Avraham and with Moshe. Because we've got the famous, it's the first words, it's really how we officially meet Abraham. God says, Lech Lecha, go to Canaan, go to Israel. So that's Lech as opposed to Bo. So we can contrast the two words, Lech and Bo, and we can contrast Abraham and Moshe now as well. Just continue to drill down into this idea. So I'd like to say the following, that Abraham's mission, remember, in last week's Parsha, God says to Moshe, I revealed myself to the Avos with this divine name, Kel Shakai, and I'm revealing myself to you with this name, Yudke Vavke, a much deeper name of God. So in other words, God is revealing himself in a much more profound level to Moshe than he did even to Abraham. So we're going we're gonna to see that in the words with Lech and Bo. So what's the difference between God is there and God is here? It's a big difference, right? When God is there, It's more of an intellectual construct. You can point over there. God's in Israel. God's in Shul. God's in heaven. Point to the sky. Right? Point to a holy person. God's there. That's one level. That's one level. But there are boundaries around that. There are boundaries. There are parameters around that. And that's this idea of there. Lech. Go there. Now I want to say that you see that in the word itself. Because lech is lamed and chaf sofit. It's got a final letter there. Now the idea of final letters is really interesting in Torah, conceptually. Because a final letter ends something. That's why final letters are associated with the spiritual attribute of din. Right? Or justice. Like you, you end something. It's at the end of a word. Right? And as I've been sharing with you, I I think we can apply that in an interesting way to how the Rambam tells us to go to sleep at night. You're supposed to lay on your left side. 
So your left side, that's din also. And I imagine this past week that when you lie on your left side, like you make yourself like a final nun. <laughs> like it's like a final letter. So it's, it's appropriate to end on the left side, which is the same spiritual quality as the final letters because you're ending the day. Just like a final letter ends a word, you sort of become this physical embodiment of the end of the day. Okay. So lech ends a word. It's got a final letter. And so that's the concept of there. That's the concept of parameters. That's the concept that God exists, but you're not yet fully immersed in godliness as you will be when you get to this word bo, which means come, which means that God is here. Not just God is there, God is here. That's a much more immersive understanding of godliness. And that's what's coming out through Moshe Rabbeinu. That's what's coming out through this divine name, Yudke Vavke. And it's with the word Bo. Now, what's so interesting about Bo is it's Bez Aleph. There is no final letter there. It ends with the letter Aleph. And what is the letter Aleph? Well, it's actually three letters. It's Yud, Vav, Yud, which adds up to 26, which is the same divine name, Yudke Vavke. Meaning to say that you don't hit a wall, you reach this awareness of expanded consciousness that God just keeps on going wherever you're going, that's where God is. One of my favorite old-time Hasidic stories, I heard it in the name of the young Chedusha Arim. He was the first Ger Rebbe. So when he was young, an older rabbi said to him, I'll give you a kopeck if you tell me where God is. And the young Chidush Arim says back to him, I'll give you two kopecks if you can tell me where God isn't. <laughs> right? So I, I thought about that story for a long time because that's a, deep, that's a deep story. And we know intuitively that the little boy got the better of the elder rabbi. But the question is why? Why is that such a better answer? So I think what the elder rabbi wanted the little boy to say is, God is everywhere. But you know, there's a problem with saying that God is everywhere because your mind can't hold that much information at a certain point. At a, at a certain point, you know, I like to describe all of reality in a very simple way, that it's the interaction between the infinite and the finite. Right? That's all of life. That's all of everything. An interaction between the infinite and the finite. Now, the problem is the mind is finite. As, as exalted as the mind is, it's finite compared to God. Which means that inevitably, necessarily, you will hit a wall at a certain point. So if you say God is absolutely everywhere, at a certain point, your mind short circuits or shuts down, and it can't grasp it. Right? But if you say there is no place where God isn't, <laughs> you've reversed the process. To use the same imagery as before, but now in a positive way, you've gone from the Hubble telescope to the electron microscope because everywhere you look, there God is. 
So this is like a, a much higher idea. Now, I'll tell you, one of the strongest things I've learned in the last several years from Reb Tzadok HaKoyim, he said, how did the snake affect us in the Garden of Eden? What was, so to speak, the snake poison that was put into our consciousness? What was it? It was the idea that there's such a thing as a place where God isn't. We thought, as soon as I do something wrong, God leaves me. There is no such a thing. God never leaves a person. God never leaves a person. Even in Gehenna, God is with a person. There is no place where God isn't. It can't exist. Just intellectually, there can't be a place where God isn't. That place, wherever God isn't, that place doesn't exist. So this idea of Bo, come, means that wherever you are, God is telling you, that's where I also am, and I will be with you. And it's going from base to Aleph. It's not hitting a final letter. Because that Aleph, which is Yudke Vavke, right? Two Yuds and a Vav, 26 Yudke Vavke. It's expanding outwardly, infinitely. Now, something hit me on Shabbos, and it blew my mind. I was so happy with this. It occurred to me that the verse, and it is a verse from the Torah, by the way, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, has no final letters. Do you know why? Because there is no end to God. There is no end to God. The Medrash teaches, and the Lubavitcher Rebbe gives a, an amazing explanation of this. You, you'll see another illustration of this, which is that when God spoke at Mount Sinai, there was no echo. That's what the Medrash says. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe explains it. What is the physics of an echo? How is an echo made? Let's say you're in the Alps, and you yell out, Hello! 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 Why is that happening? because the sound waves are bouncing off of something, something that the sound waves aren't, meaning to say like a mountainside, right? So when you've got sound waves and it hits something that it isn't, like a hard surface, it will create an echo. So based on that, why was there no echo at Mount Sinai? Because there is no place where God isn't. <laughs> there is no place in the universe devoid of God. Which means that God's voice waves, so to speak, never hit anything other than him. <laughs> because the only thing that is, is God. Now, based on this, I wanted to say another idea, another new thought which is, we have 10 plagues. And we've shared before this idea that the Chedusha Arim says there's this narrative, 10 utterances of creation, 10 plagues, 10 commandments. That's actually a story. That's not just, you know, God loves the number 10, right? It's, there's actually a story there. What's the storyline? 
God creates this universe. He speaks this world into existence. Remember, God has no physical body, but these are, this is just imagery that the sages give us to wrap our brains around. God speaks the world into creation, but then because of idol worship, God's presence gets encrusted over by paganism. So the 10 plagues come to bust that open, to remove all of the corrosion around our perception of reality to show that there is no other power other than God. Once the whole idea of other gods and paganism has been blown up, now God gives the Torah again and exposes for the whole world to see and learn for all times the structure of the universe and what we're to do. You know, I was talking with someone after Shabbos and it was an interesting conversation. We were talking about how there, there is only one God. And let me make the point about the plagues right now. Which is that it's interesting that God wanted ten plagues and not nine, for instance. Why ten plagues? Why the point ten plagues? There had to be ten. Okay. So the Maharal, who, you know, is one of our greatest Torah lights and had a special, amazing gift for under the, the numbers of the Torah in, in, in addition to everything else, but also numbers, makes the point that there's a difference between the, this grouping of numbers one through nine, which are single digits, and that when you break through to the number 10, and you get to double digits, that means a new idea is being introduced. Okay, so I just want to tell you that making the distinction between 9 and 10 is actually very meaningful to do. Now I'm going to give you my explanation. So, so why 10? So, so I heard in the name of the Ger Rebbe that the gematria of the name Moshe is 345. That you don't need the Ger Rebbe for, but the next part you do. 345, which is interesting because it's 3, 4, 5. It's like counting. And the Gomorrah says that God said the first two commandments at Mount Sinai. So now we have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And Moshe then continues till 613, right? So 1, 2 is from God, and then Moshe kicks in, 3, 4, 5. And of course, Moshe is saying word for word the word of God. Okay, very good. So we see God said the first two commandments. But I always had this question for a long time, which is the first commandment is, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, right? God says, I'm God. And the Rambam understands that as the mitzvah to believe in God. So if you believe in God, then that covers everything. Why do you need this extra mitzvah don't believe in things that aren't God. <laughs> like if you believe in God, that means don't believe in other things. But the amazing thing that Rabbi Nachman points out is that it's possible for a person, you're not supposed to do it, but to believe in God and to believe in other powers. And if you think about paganism, they believe in lots of gods. 
Right? There's the guide of this and the guide of that and the guide of this and the guide of that. So why not believe in Hashem? And then you can believe in a lot of other gods too. So, so you see, wow, the mind actually goes that way. And if you look at your own life, and if you're exceedingly honest with yourself, there's an excellent chance that you are giving power to things other than God. People, relationships, materiality. And a lot of the progress that we can make in our life is really with that second commandment. Like, okay, you believe in God. Excellent. Now let's work on not believing in any other power. So I want to say that's what the number 10 is doing. Because 10 is one and then zero. One, believe in God. Zero, there is zero other powers. Right? One and zero. Believe in God, zero other powers. So how do you deal with the world, essentially, and, and people who you need to give respect to, who it's appropriate to give respect to, without sort of attributing power to an entity other than God, right? Yeah. So what I would suggest is the following, is that you understand that whoever you're dealing with, you're in a conversation with God. Right? Because the truth is, is that God is constantly creating situations for us to be in. And if you ever saw that movie, The Truman Show, I, I think that that's like a, a really powerful example of this. Just to give you, if, if you're not familiar with the movie, just to tell you what it is very quickly, a child is born, and this child doesn't realize from the first moments that he's born that he's on a, a movie set or a television set. And this was before reality TV became popular. So it was really a, a very visionary sort of metaphor, this, this screenplay. And so, and it becomes the most popular television show in the whole world. Like stadiums of people in China are watching it each week and they're watching this child grow up into adulthood. And the child doesn't know it, but every situation that he's in, he's surrounded by actors and everything is being filmed. So, so then the child, or now the adult, realizes something weird is going on. And that's where the movie begins. And I, I always share this one scene, which I just think is just an incredible, just an incredible scene, is that he decides that he's going to escape. And he goes to the beach and he gets into like a little rowboat and he starts rowing. And he rows for a while. And then he's able to actually put his hand against the sky and he realizes that the sky is a painted backdrop, that he's in a movie studio. And it's just like this incredible moment when he puts his hand and presses this wall, which is the painted sky. Just amazing, amazing, amazing moment. Anyway. Anyway, so the, the idea is that, that on some level, that on some level, you are the star of your own movie. And that every single person in your life is just put there by God for you to be able 
to exhibit and to grow and to exhibit the mitzvahs of the Torah and to do good things. So all of you are sort of like, so to speak, props created by God for my movie. And for each one of you, you're the star and I'm a prop in your movie. Right? So there's this amazing thing. If you want to think about how infinite God is, how many stories is he telling simultaneously where you're just a prop in someone else's movie, whereas everyone else is a prop in your movie? And it's all going on simultaneously. It's amazing. It's amazing. The infinity of God is it's endless. It's absolutely endless. So, so the idea is how can you interact with someone without giving them power? Well, if you see that other person as a final letter, as a wall, then, then it's an issue. But if you understand that, that they're just an aspect, an emanation of godliness, and that you're having simultaneous conversations, one with them and one with God at the same time, then you're really holding, as they say. I mean, then you're really deep. And by, by the way, the Malbum, I saw the Malbum, one of our great Torah authorities, said that the greatest people, and by the way, this is very, very hard to do, even for like sentences, it's very, very hard to do. I'll give you an example of, of my limited experience in trying to do this in a moment at Starbucks. But, but the Malbum says that the greatest people have conversations with other people and God at the same time, right? I, I, I decided that I wanted to try this many years ago. And so when I was at Starbucks, I ordered a coffee, but I realized, you know, wait a second, because I want to do this at Starbucks, because I, I thought to myself, well, at Starbucks, when I get coffee, who's really giving me the coffee? Well, on the deepest level, God is giving me the coffee. So I'm not really ordering coffee. I'm, I'm praying for coffee. If you want to dig a little deeper, what's actually going on? So I, I remember saying, okay, I'm going to try this. And, and there was the, the cashier. And I said, please, may I have a cup of coffee? It's very, very hard for the mind to, I mean, I'm sure like everything else, it's like a muscle. Like you can do, you can, you can do this over time, but start very, very slowly because it is a, it's a very, very trippy way to go through life. You know, very holy, very holy. But you have to, things like this are kind of like dynamite. You have to do things like this very, very slowly and carefully, you know, because otherwise you can just like shred your brain, you know. So, what is the 10th plague? It's, it's the death of the firstborn. Now, interestingly, Paro was the firstborn, and he doesn't die. Which is the one exception. Like, all the animals, like, firstborn animals died. Not only that, but firstborn was determined by who the father was which means that there were many families in Egypt where multiple children died, which revealed that the mother had actually been with other men and they were fathering their firstborns through her. So there were all of these 
revelations that were going on. But what is so striking is that Paro is the one exception. He gets spared. Now, now I want to say the following, because we had to get to this number 10. One and zero. Pharaoh thought that he was God. So, so one of the strong things being communicated is God is saying, not only am I God, but you are not God. And that's, that's like a big zero there, right? For Paro to live and to incorporate the fact that he's not God. Now, I'll tell you, one of the deepest things I ever heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of the Beis Yaakov, that was the second Ishbitzer Rebbe. He said, now, now listen to this thought, because this is an amazing thought, an amazing thought. The Beis Yaakov says, deep down, every single person thinks that they created themselves. That's not a rational thought, because you know, intellectually, you have a father and you have a mother. And yet, nonetheless, deep down, every single person thinks that they created themselves. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. That means that there's a level within ourselves. If you can think that you created yourselves, that's the paro within you. That's the paro within every single person. So that has to be uprooted. Not just placing confidence and trust and power in things other than God, but in ourselves as well. And let me add one more thing which is this word bow goes from Bez to Aleph. It goes backwards. And there's another very interesting word that also goes backwards, and that's Tishrei. Tishrei, which we know is the Jewish month where we have Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, right? Sukkot. So Tishrei is spelled the following. It's, it's the last letters of the Aleph base in reverse order. Tav, that's the last letter. Shin, that's the second to last letter. Resh, that's the third to last letter. And then, interestingly, Yud. Okay? So, it's going backwards. So, you can say a lot of very deep Torahs based on the fact that Tishrei is going backwards. One thing that I want to say, just is that it's like, it's, it's, it's almost like God is going, because there's a jump to the letter Yud. You're missing a lot of letters to get to Yud, which is the last letter. It's almost like God is saying, okay, tough, shin, resh. All right, we haven't got time for this. <laughs> Just going to jump to the Yud. It's going to get down to the essence, because the essence, really the essence of everything in terms of the, the Aleph base, which remember are the wavelengths of the energies of creation, is the letter Yud. You know, all of the letters of the olive bays either go down to the line, like a line where you write on, right? The flat line, or below the line, but there's only one letter that floats above the line, and that's the letter Yud. Because it's like, the letter Yud is like beyond. I once had this visual that, that Yom Kippur begins with the letter Yud, and I, I imagine the letter Yud like one of those... You know when rockets take off for outer space and then they drop the bottom stages when it's just now just a little capsule like speeding through space? Like I really felt like that's the letter Yud. Like it's just that capsule just 
like going up, 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 up. Right? So when God created the universe, he created it as a little point. Like it's like the very first, like smaller than an atom, like the first thought becoming becoming materiality. And then it expands outward like we discussed. That's, that's like the Big Bang. But it begins with the letter Yud. So in other words, the process, the process, and you know, whenever we read this Parsha, it's always Tu Bishvat. I want to say that Yud is the seed, right? Like if you plant your consciousness, right, within the infinity of God, the fact that God is absolutely everywhere, if that's where you plant your yud, your consciousness, right? Then wherever you grow, in whatever direction you grow, you'll be growing with God. So, so, yeah. This letter yud is so far out because it goes, we're going backwards, Bo from base to Aleph, and in Tishrei, we're going back to the letter yud. When you look at the letter Aleph, do you know you can't, the first way, when you want to draw the letter Aleph, which is one, you might imagine like maybe Aleph is the highest. One is the oneness of God. But you know, when you draw the letter Aleph, do you know what the first thing you draw is? The letter Yud, which is the top of the Aleph. Right? How high does the letter Yud go? It's already like the top of the Aleph. It's beyond. It's beyond, 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 beyond. And that's also the yud that's inside of you. Right? That's what they call the pintala yid. Right? That's that source of divinity that's inside of you that can never be covered up. So tshuva is really going in two directions. Just to go back to the, the Hubble telescope and the electron microscope, right? The yud is going back to the yud, which is the beginning of all of creation, the first point that God brings thought into deed, right? That's the most expansive yud. But also the yud is also going to that point, which is the deepest point within each one of us, right? It's going in the other direction, right? Not only that, but there's a straight line from that first yud at the beginning of creation, which is coming from the or ein sof, which is also represented in Kabbalah by the letter yud. It's that ray of light that's going from the top all the way deep inside of you. Now, if you look at the universe from, the, from galaxies and then you go step by step down to a subatomic level, let's just go through it for a moment, okay? <clears throat> because many people say the world is random. Oh, that's so random. Right? But let's actually ask ourselves, are things random? If you look at the galaxies, you can like find a rock in space and you know exactly the number of years till that rock appears again. Right? Like Halley's Comet. Like, not only that, but the orbits of planets and things like that can be calculated exactly. And these giant things, many hundreds of times the size of the Earth, or even the Sun, adhere strictly to this divine choreography in the skies. Utterly precise. And it's even more amazing 
when you think that there are millions or perhaps hundreds of millions or maybe even billions of black holes whose gravitational energy is so huge, why don't they suck everything in? How does everything adhere to this incredibly rigorous orbit when there's so many things working against it? It's miraculous how precise it is. Then let's go down further. Let's talk about air. Air is like very precise. If there was less oxygen, we'd all suffocate. If there was more oxygen, if you lit a match, it would set the whole world on fire. What about your DNA? Let's go one more step. Incredibly precise. You have exactly the right number of X chromosomes and exactly the right number of Y chromosomes. And if you say, okay, so what's the big deal? So I have a few more X chromosomes. You'd have nine heads. That's how utterly precise like our makeup is. Now let's go further down to the subatomic level. Like if something had one more proton, it would be a different substance. It wouldn't be carbon, it would be helium or something like that, or whatever it is. The slightest, most minute change in the number of protons or electrons changes absolutely the entirety of the substance itself. So you see, from the largest things in the solar system and beyond, to the tiniest things, everything is utterly precise. So why do people say that everything is random? So I'll tell you my reason. Because life is baffling. <laughs> and we look at each other and we don't understand each other. Why did you say that? Why didn't you say that? Why did you do that? Why didn't you do that? And we're so mysterious to each other that we take that level of confusion that exists within us and we project it onto the canvas of the universe, onto God, and we say everything is random. But it's not. It's just mysterious. It's just wondrous. And that's living with God. That's living with God, is understanding that there is no place without God. Wherever I am, there he is, even if I've done something wrong. Because there cannot, literally cannot be a place without God. God is absolutely everywhere. He's with me in my highest moments and he's with me in my lowest moments. And this is the radical jump forward that happens in terms of the revelation of godliness. Even from Avraham, who's showing that God fills the world, that God is there. Wherever you point, God is there. To Moshe Rabbeinu, who ramps it up to a whole other level, and it's like, no, God is here. <laughs> God is here. God is here and beyond, beyond what we'll ever know. And it's okay not to know. If you don't know, that's okay. That's okay. 
That's okay. But don't leave God's side. Because he hasn't left your side. I just end with one last thought. I saw this in the name of the Ksav Sofer. That was the Chasim Sofer's son. And I, I really, I, I thought it was so, so beautiful. Like really kind of words to live by. So he wants to explain something in the Torah, which is Paro is negotiating with uh, Moshe. Moshe is saying, you know, we got to go. It's time to go. We're going to serve God at Mount Sinai. And Paro's like, well, you know, Paro wants to make sure that there's collateral left behind so that we're going to come back. So he goes, okay, but leave your kids behind. Leave your cattle behind. Leave, like, your families behind. And Moshe's like, no, no. We're going with everything because we don't know what we're going to need until we get there. And then finally Paro says, okay, go. So what is this idea of we won't know until we get there? Well, why do you bring sacrifices? Why do you bring offerings? One is to atone for something, and the other is to give thanks for something. Right? So, so the Ksav Sofer says that until the Jews got to Mount Sinai, they didn't know how much they were going to need to thank God for Right? So, like, let me just put it into, like, maybe more understandable terms. Imagine I say to you, hey, listen, we're going to go on this shopping expedition. And you can't even imagine what's going to be available. Right? So now you're wondering, like, how much should I take? Should I take, like, I don't know. Should I take, like, like $100? Should I take my credit card? Like, well, my credit card has a limit to it. I'll take a blank check. <laughs> I'm going to take a blank check because I'm not going to know till I get there how much I'm going to need. So that, so to speak, was what, according to the Ksav Sofer, what Moshe was telling to Paro, we have to bring everything because we have to bring a blank check because we have no concept. Once God fills our minds and fills our heart, what it is that we can give back to God. So we have to take absolutely everything. So I think that's how we should go through life. Let's go through life with a blank check of thanks to God so that whatever situation we're in, right, we have what to give back. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.